God's good, amen? How many glad you're in church? I mean, how, how many are comfortable right now? All right, good. Well, I'm going to make sure you're not comfortable when I get done. <laughs> Sounds like a threat, doesn't it? <clears throat> it's not really. But anyways, uh, it's good to have you all here. Just remember that, you know, um, this Friday is Good Friday, and we do have a service at 630, so don't forget that. We'll be having communion at that service, and uh, so that's this Friday. And then uh, on the 27th of of uh, April, 27th of April, we have Karen from Ukraine that will be here. Karen's a guy, by the way. That's a, um, he, it was kind of funny when I first met Karen. We went, to, I think it was in 95 or 4 or something like that. We went to Ukraine, and um, I remember the, the, th- the impression I had being there was that everybody seemed so depressed. I mean, everybody just seemed so down. I mean, everybody kind of walked around. I didn't realize kind of gave me a revelation of what communism is like and um, what it does to people. But, um, but so anyways, we, we come through customs and all of a sudden there's this young man um, and he's like, he, he doesn't fit in this picture. Everybody's kind of just mauling around, kind of like they're depressed. And all of a sudden this guy goes, hey, praise the Lord. It's like, you don't fit in this picture, I mean, at all, you know, but that's who he is. And he's always been kind of that way kind of a fiery evangelist. He does uh, evangelistic work throughout the villages. I think they've gone to uh, Moldova and Poland, but um, he, was, he, was, uh, he lived in Odessa. And he's got a great testimony about how they got out before the uh, army advanced into uh, Ukraine. So that'll be the 27th. That's a Wednesday night. He'll be here. So it'd be a great, great night for you to come out. And So are you guys excited? Like uh, Dave was talking about, this is uh, Palm Sunday, a time that Jesus is kind of the beginning of Holy Week. It's, we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, um, and the thing about Palm Sunday is, you know, Jesus had been ministering for three and a half years. Of course, he was, did miracles. He did a lot of teaching, preaching, miracles, signs and wonders, feeding the 5,000, things like that. And, but one of the greatest miracles had taken place just a few days before this triumphal entry, which kind of set it up, you know, because, you know, he had come to Jerusalem many times uh, before, but um, this kind of set up uh, his, his triumphal entry because he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. How many remember that story in John chapter 11? So that just happened, and it, was, uh, and, and it happened in Bethany, which is just a few miles from Jerusalem, just like two or three miles from Jerusalem. So all of Jerusalem first had come out to mourn Lazarus' death. And then after Lazarus was raised from the dead, it it, it actually affected all Jerusalem. So you can imagine, here comes Jesus, the man, the guy that raised Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, raised him from the dead. And so they were like, they were going ballistic. I mean, they weren't having like a... uh, a Norwegian worship service. They were having. They were, they were ripping their clothes off, throwing them in the road, and they were tearing off palm branches, throwing them down in the road, and they were screaming, throwing dirt in the air. I mean, it was wild, and they were saying "Hosanna," which means "Save us" or "Save now." Uh, God save now, and so they were. They were asking for, uh, you know, they were welcoming this this great, which 
there was a lot of controversy about who he was, but a lot of people thought, well, he was the one. He was the Messiah. But they thought they had an idea on how the Messiah, what his mission would be, that he would come in on a, on a stallion and he would defeat the Romans and he would set up the kingdom of God on the earth. And Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom and spiritual worship and spiritual people that would, uh, would serve God in the spirit, not just natural things, but there would be a spiritual expression. And so they kind of missed their day of, their day of uh, visitation because that same group of people, or at least a lot of them, just one week or actually not even a week, moved by the Jewish leaders, actually cried out for his crucifixion. I mean, you think about that. That's pretty. That's quite a, a stark change to go from rejoicing that he was coming and that he was entering Jerusalem on this donkey and then go just a few days later to cry out, crucify him, uh, just, you know, wanting his death. And so that tells you something about the mob. Amen? Tells you something about the mob. And, um, but I, I'm not going to talk about, those are some of the details, but I titled this message, the Lord needs you. The Lord needs you. And um, that's kind of a strange title when you think about it. Because, you know, the Lord in himself needs nothing or needs nobody. He doesn't need anybody to complete him. There's no deficiency in him. He doesn't need anything. But I heard a, a guy say this one time. He said, without God, I can't. Without God, I can't. And without me, he won't. Without me, he won't. And so basically, the Lord needs you. And when I read the story, in fact, let's just read it together here. It's found in, um, found in Mark chapter 11. This is the triumphal entry. All the Gospels give this story, and this is Mark's account of it. Uh, in verse 2, it says, and, and Jesus saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. I like the way that's worded. The village over against you. And as soon as you are entered into it, you shall find a colt tied. You shall find a colt tied, whereupon never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, why do you do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. That's where I got the title. The Lord hath need of him. The Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. This is the old King James, so there's a little bit of hither and thither in there. And wither and thither, and that's, you know, I remember, you know, years ago, all we ever read was the King James. And so when people would give prophetic words, it was always in the King James, because we, the Lord hath with saith unto theeth. It was always because we thought God talked like that, but that's how they talk when the King James was written. But, <clears throat> the, and so they, and they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. And they loosed him, and certain of them stood there, said unto them, Why do you loosing the colt? And they said to him, Even as Jesus had commanded. In other words, the Lord hath need of him. And they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strewed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, God save now. Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so 
this is like I said, like I said, the height of Jesus' popularity in, in his ministry. But it's just a few days before his death. And um, the thing I want to emphasize or focus on this morning is this little cult. This little cult that's tied because I relate to this cult. And I want when I'm done here, I think that every one of you will relate to this little cult. I know you didn't want to go to church and have the pastor call you a horse or a donkey. Some of you are never mind. But anyways, (laughs) but one thing cool about a donkey is that they say this. Now, I don't know if you can Google this, but that a donkey has a cross by its. um, What is that hump there? By its back hump right there, shoulders right between the shoulders. It has a cross. All donkeys have a cross there. Do you guys know that? I don't know when that came into being, but that's absolutely true. And um, I read that somewhere on the Internet. And if it's on the Internet, we know it's true, right? <laughs> but, but I want to spiritualize this story a little bit about this, about this donkey. Because this donkey had a destiny. This donkey had a purpose. This donkey was born for a reason, and that reason was to bring Jesus into Jerusalem. And that's true of every single one of us here in this place. We are born for a divine purpose. We are born for a reason. I say this all the time, the reason we named our church. We used to be Country Bible Church, and we named it Country Bible Church because we are in the country, we believe the Bible, and we're a church. So it wasn't really a super spiritual name. But what we did was, some of the older Younger people thought that the name wasn't cool enough. And so we changed it to, to a name that would reflect what our, we believe is true of every single person. And what we believe is true of every single person is that they have a destiny. That they are not here by accident. They are here by God's design. And that there is a Jesus, there's Jesus waiting for you and I to be loosed. So that we can bring his presence into our Jerusalem. That's the idea behind this. And so I want you to think about that just for a second. As long as you're tied, as long as you're tied up, you're not free. But God has sent messengers to set you free. And it's so interesting when you think about that being tied. Because somebody had tied this little donkey to a post somewhere. And this donkey had lost its ability to move about. You know, I heard a story one time about a bear that was in a roadside zoo in Germany. And this bear lived in a cage that was only like 10 or 12 feet long. And uh, it lived all of its life in this cage. And all it would do is walk back and forth every day, back and forth. It would walk 10 or 12 feet. I can't remember how long the cage was. Then it would turn and walk 10 or 12 feet back. And it did that for year after year after year. And people would come and watch this bear walk back and forth in this cage. And one day, you know, they noticed that the bear was getting old. So they thought, well, maybe we should sell it. So they sold it to an animal sanctuary. And they brought the bear out into a, like a natural habitat to let it go. But it wouldn't leave the cage. So they actually lit a fire on the one end of the cage to get the bear to go out. And so finally the bear got out. Because of the fire, got out of the cage, they opened the door. But when they took the cage away, the bear would only move 10 or 12 feet. It would walk back and forth. Even though the cage wasn't there, it would only move back, you know, 10 or 12 feet back and forth. That's all it would do. 
And it was such a pathetic thing to watch because the bear was free to move about. But there was an invisible barrier that was there that was not so much literal, but it was in the bear's mind that held that bear captive to that 10 or 12 feet. And that's like this donkey. This donkey was tied to a post and it had limitations. When you're tied to a post, what happens is that you can't see because you don't have quite a view. When, you, when you're tied to a post, your view isn't very big. How many know that's true? What do you see? I see a post. And life becomes restricted and life loses options and choices. You feel confined, like, like you know, life starts to press in on you because maybe you have financial trouble, maybe you have physical trouble, maybe you have different things that are coming against your life. And those things, if you're not careful, they get into your head. How many know that's true? That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he talked about the weapons of our warfare. He said they're not carnal, they're not physical weapons. We don't fight with guns and knives and bombs and things like that. He said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So there's a, there is a warfare. He's, notice he said the weapons of our, everybody say our. That means you are in a warfare. You are in, I'm in a warfare. We're all in a warfare. The weapons are not carnal, but thank God they're mighty. The weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So what are these strongholds? Casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. He's, he's identifying where the strongholds are. He's identifying where the problem where is. He's identifying where the battle is, where the warfare is. It's in our minds. It's in our imaginations. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, what happens so often to us is that we allow ourselves to become captured by a stronghold, captured by a way of thinking. You know, it's like, it's like um, you know, hopelessness is a way of thinking. People have hopeless thoughts. You know, I remember one, one time I was talking about raising kids. And um, I, I, I talked about how it's so important because as a parent, I, I found myself doing a lot of, you know, quit that, stop that. What's the matter with you? You're on drugs? or I didn't say you're on drugs or something, but <clears throat> I, I knew enough not to say that. But what, what's the matter with you? What are you doing that for? Quit that. Quit the, all my input was through the kids was negative. I never said anything positive. And... Um, and so I kind of began to see myself as the angry troll that lived under the bridge that only came out at certain moments to yell at everybody. And then I went back under the bridge and sat there, you know, muttered to myself what was wrong with the world, what was wrong with the family, and how could they never do anything right, and I can't figure out why they are this way. I mean, where were you? Are you, are you really my kid? I mean, come on, you know. Because my personality is I, I, I can walk into a room and I can look and I look around and there could be everything could be right except one thing and I, I'd find it. And then when I did my blood, I found out that I was A negative. <laughs> so being negative is in my blood. Right down to my blood. It's A negative. But that's kind of the way I was. And I remember I, I was talking about, so I, I really got a revelation that you got to be more positive. I mean, you still have to correct children, but I mean, you got to do a lot of you know, praise, and if they do something that's remarkable, which does happen once in a while, you just got to go ballistic about it. You got to just go, 
You got to hyperventilate. You just got to go, I can't believe it. You know, you just got to really do it up big. And, and so, so I was preaching on that. And I know you're not supposed to talk about kids in church because it's kind of a, everybody grows quiet and thinks you're talking about their kids. Well, so I'm not talking about your kids. But, but, um, but so I was, I was talking about that. And this lady who, every time I talked to her, she, told, she would complain about her kids. My kids are demon-possessed. My kids are on drugs. And so, so after that sermon, I mean, I, mean the, I, I emphasize this point over and over again, how you need to praise. I mean, you need to speak life over your kids. You need to do all this stuff. I said that over and over again. You know what she came up to me? She came up to me and she goes, I totally agree with you. My kids are crazy. And I'm going, she did the opposite of what I said. You know what that hit me? That lady's got a stronghold in her mind. That lady's got a stronghold in your mind. And so when you dwell on hopeless thoughts, hopeless thought, hopelessness be, makes a home inside of us. When you dwell on bitter thoughts, bitterness makes a home in us. You could go down any list. You, you dwell on anxious thoughts. Anxiety makes a home in us. And when an anxiety, when something makes a home in us, it becomes a stronghold in our minds. When it becomes a stronghold, it works with any subject. In other words, once you, like, for example, anxiety, once you allow anxiety in, what happens is it's, it works with your finances. You're anxious about your finances. You're, it works with your relationships. It works with, it works with your, uh, uh, even your relationship with God, your future. It works with anything. It works with any subject once it finds a home inside of you. Amen. That's why it's so important for us to not allow, because what happens is, you know, you, somebody tied this little colt to that post, but you can tie yourself to a post. You can get stuck, anybody can get stuck anywhere. You know, it's so interesting when Paul talked about hope in Romans chapter 5, it's, it's kind of a cycle that he goes through. He goes, he goes, we stand in the favor of God, we stand by faith, we stand in the grace of God, and we glory in hope of, uh, we, we rejoice in hope of seeing the glory of God. He says we, we have an expectation of seeing the glory of God. But then he goes, and the glory of God is the manifest presence of God. It's, it's when God shows up and does something like work a miracle or make a provision. That's the glory of God. And so he goes, we stand in the grace of God, the favor of God, and we, we're looking expectantly to see the glory of God. But then he goes on, the next thing he says, he says, not only this, but we glory in tribulation. Really? That's not something I, I normally glory in. Tribulation means pressure or difficulty or suffering. He says, we glory in suffering. That's a common theme in the New Testament where people, where, he, where, the, they, where they talked about glorying and suffering. Because suffering, if, we, if you glory in it, if you don't get stuck, because some people get stuck. They experience suffering, then they get stuck. And they detach from, from moving forward. They get tied there. They, they get stuck. And so he says, we glory in suffering, which produces perseverance. And then perseverance, if we stay with perseverance, then it produces proven character. And you know what proven character produces? Hope. 
It's a hope cycle. It starts with hope, and it's a cycle, but it ends with hope, and it ends with even greater hope, and so you have even greater hope. See, we have to maintain hope because the Bible says that faith gives substance to hope. Do you know what hope is? Hope is a confident expectation of good, a steady, persistent optimism. Sometimes people, they kind of poo-poo hope. It's like, don't get your hopes up. We even have terms like that, don't get your hopes up. Because, you know, what goes around comes around. It's about ready to hit the fan, you know what I mean? And so we have all this, like, you know, because why? Because we've all experienced bad things. So we don't want to get our hopes up because keep your head down. Because you don't know when it's going to come around again, right? So we're all kind of like got eyes wide open. We're kind of like waiting, you know, ducking in a foxhole somewhere. But God tells us to get our hopes up. I like that song. You ever heard that song where it talks about high hopes? Give me those high in the sky in the pie hopes, or whatever the song is. You should have your hopes sky high. Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But what happens is that when we get tied to something, it's like a mental stronghold in our mind. And what happens is that we lose vision and we feel cramped. We feel like we have no options. Life feels closed in. Basically, we've lost hope. You know, there's a verse in Psalms 118, verse 5. It says, I call upon the Lord in my distress. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. The Lord answered me. Listen to the next thing. It says, and set me in a large place. Set me. I don't know if you've ever felt like if you're going through stuff, because people go through stuff all the time. Even Christians, they go through stuff. When you go through stuff, what happens is it starts to press in on you. And you start feeling like, I'm being suffocated. You guys ever feel that way? I mean, I'm not happy about admitting this, but I have had many sleepless nights worrying about things. Because when you think about this, fear and faith are alike. They try to get us to believe something that's not tr- that, that you can't see. They try to get you to believe something that you can't see. And they try to use your imagination. You know, I remember when I took flying lessons, um, I took it from a guy in, in Henning, Minnesota. So that's about a 45-minute drive. And this guy was a pretty thrifty character. And the airplane that we trained in, it was a 152 Cessna, two-seater. And this thing was, I don't know how that thing passed the annual every year. Because it was a piece of junk. I mean, you would take off and things would be shaking and the whole, call, the whole, uh, the whole instrument panel would shake and I'd grab a hold of it to hang on to it. And then it would sputter. And he didn't want to buy Avgas. He wanted me to go to town and buy gas out of the tank the gas station, and so the thing, he'd be taken off, and he'd go, and I'd go, you know, and, and I'm trying to, you know, lean it out and do all these things to try to get, don't do that again, whatever, do not do that again. And so here's what would happen, is on the way up there, I have 45 minutes to imagine my death. <laughs> so I'm driving up there, I'm thinking, and then we took off to the north, Henning, the town of Henning's right there. And if you didn't get high enough where you, where you could glide, I'd think I'm going to crash into one of the buildings in Henning and I'm going to die. And so, every, I mean, this is like every day, I would, every time I'd go there, I'd imagine my death. I'd see it. And then I'd imagine my funeral. 
I'm probably the only one that did, has done this, but anyway, so I'd imagine my death, I'd imagine my funeral, and then I'd imagine, is my wife going to wait a month before she gets remarried? <laughs> so I would actually tell her that, at least wait a month. I mean, just pretend like you feel bad that I died, you know. Right? Are you guys with me at all? And so it was a battle. Every time I went up, drive up there, it was this battle where this, my imagination would, take, would get taken over, and I would see all this tragedy. So then I, I walk up to the airplane, and I look at it. You're supposed to do a, a walk around. I check. I go, what's this hanging here for? <laughs> my mind would keep going on and on. I'd say, what was that? You know, I, I always hear noises, you know, like, what was that? I go, I didn't see this here before. What, what, is this something wrong? I'd be calling the instructor going, is, is this okay? And he's going, what is wrong with you? you know, but my imagination was just going like crazy. So I, if I, I thought, if I'm going to do this, because then, then I would I could hear, start hearing voices. I'd start imagining all this stuff, and all of a sudden a voice would say, you're going to die today. i go, Lord, is that you? Are you telling me I'm going to die today? Don't get in that airplane. You're going to die today. And, and so what I had to do is, I, I don't know if you guys ever experienced anything like that. And you, spirit, you think about your kids sometimes. You go, what's going to happen to them? You start imagining all this stuff. And it starts pushing you into the realm of fear. And that's fear and faith are alike. They try to get you to imagine something that hasn't happened yet. And so what I did was I started to, I started to go, okay, now wait a second here. I'm gonna, I start to think about my landings. I start thinking about the promises of God's word. And I, I've had to do, I can't tell you how many nights I've had to do this, lay in bed at night and just think about scriptures because otherwise I would get so anxious. And anxiety, once it finds a home in you, it works with any subject. And I had to get rid of the of vocabulary where I always talked about fear or, or use the word scared or the word fear. Well, that's scary. I don't know. That, that, that looks scary. Don't do that. That looks scary. So I cut that out. I cut the word fear and the word scared and the word uh, afraid. I cut that out of my vocabulary because that is my enemy. And it's not going to have a home inside of me. Because when it has a home inside of me, it, it binds me or, or it ties me to a post somewhere and I can't see it. I can't see the future. What faith does is it gives substance to our hope. Promises, the promises of God's words have to be in the right kind of environment. You know, I, I heard this story one time about uh, uh, Mother Eaglet and how it sits on an egg for 35 days. It lays an egg, and it has to sit on an egg for 35 days. And uh, it has to keep a temperature of 105 degrees. That egg has to keep a temperature of 105 degrees. And, and I thought about how different that is than a, when, when a woman gets pregnant. You know, at a certain point, the baby starts moving inside. Like we had five kids, and so at times, you know, my wife would go, look at, look at that, look at that there. She'd show me, like, the baby's, I don't know if the baby's uh, thrashing about or the baby's doing praise and worship music in there or, I heard that babies sleep during the day and that night when you, they wake up and they go, hey, there's no movement here, you know, because when you move around, it rocks them to sleep, so they sleep. And then when you, 
when you lay down, then they wake up and go, oh, hey, all hail King Jesus. <laughs> Amen. But when, when a mother is pregnant, you, you can see movement. And so it's like there's, you know something's happening there. But a, a mother eaglet, you, for 35 days, she sees nothing. She feels nothing. It would be easy for her to just kind of lose interest and start saying, well, there's nothing going on here. I mean, just laying on, just sitting on this big rock. That's all I'm sitting on. And I don't know. I mean, basically, she has to exercise faith. You know, if you could look into the eye of the mother eaglet, you know what you'd see? You'd see that in that eye of that mother eaglet, there's a, that mother eagle, she, you'd see a little eaglet because she's thinking about eaglets. She's keeping this thing alive. She's keeping this thing in the right environment. She's keeping this thing in the right atmosphere because it's growing inside. Even though you can't see anything, it's growing inside. Farmers do that too when they plant a seed in the ground. They don't go out there every day and dig it up and say, well, look, it doesn't look like anything's happening. They put it in that environment. They keep it in a certain environment a moist, warm environment. And what happens is, even though they don't see anything, something's happening. And that's what hope is like. Hope is like that, even though you can't see something immediately, you don't see something every day, you don't see things changing, you don't see situations changing, you have to keep your hope alive. You have to say something is happening. Because we got to make faith and hope a stronghold. How many know that's true? We've got to make faith and hope a stronghold. The Bible says, now abideth faith, hope, and love. The grace of these is love. But it, hope made the top three. It's one of the top three. Hope is a confident expectation of good. A steady, persistent optimism. And you can talk to people. You can tell if they have hope or not. Because they just, the way they talk, the way they express themselves. See, change is possible when we have hope. No matter what, because there are no hopeless situations. Poke your neighbor and say, there are no hopeless situations. There are ho- there's only hopeless thinking. There are no hopeless situations. There's only hopeless thinking. You think your situation's hopeless because you've been tied to that post for so long that you think this situation's hopeless. But there are no hopeless situations. There's only hopeless thinking. God wants to give you a a picture of a bright future. See, hope is the the belief that the future will be better than the present. And I have the power to make it so. I remember years ago, I heard this preacher who quoted this other preacher, Francis Frangipan. Frangipan, What a name. Frangipan. Frangipan. And he said this, now listen, this is a quote from the book. He said, every area of life that does not glisten with hope, every area of life that does not glisten with hope means that you are believing something that's not true. And that area is a stronghold of the devil in your life. It's a stronghold. In other words, you're, you're tied, in a sense, to that post. You're tied to that situation, you're tied to that problem because you see no hope, you have no hope over that situation. See, hopelessness about a problem 
is a bigger problem than the problem. I'm so glad I said that. I'm going to say it again. Hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. Because when we become hopeless, we're like that little donkey that is tied that can't get free. And it refuses to move, and it's like we've sat down in our hopelessness. There's a lot of people, even in this room, that you've sat down in your hopelessness over one particular situation or another. And there's no situation that's hopeless. There's just thinking that's hopeless. So what happens is that if you live long enough, and, and, and you know, stuff happens to all of us where we have problems, we have difficulties that come into our lives. And so what happens is, and, and we can struggle against, you can imagine that little donkey as he struggled against being tied. He pulled against it. And after a while, he just goes, this is hopeless. And sometimes we need somebody to help us get free. Amen? Living in a state of hopelessness for a long time becomes a stronghold in our lives. And what happens that what God does is God, the first thing that God wants to do is he wants to bring about change in our lives, but he doesn't do it without us. Change is possible when we have hope. In fact, often the starting point for change is hope. We know that something's going to change. Why? Because all of a sudden we have hope. There's some thought, there's some power thought, there's some idea that comes, and that is this situation can change. This situation doesn't have to stay this way. I want you to look at another verse here. Turn over here to Romans chapter 15. You know, it's not uncommon for God to look at it, to take a hopeless situation and turn it totally around. How many know that's true? It's not uncommon for God. You know, you think about Abraham, and I don't know why this is, but the Bible says about Abraham that he, um, it says against hope, he believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall thy seed be. It says when there is no reason for Abraham to have hope, it says that he continued to believe in hope. In other words, the thing that God said, that's what Scripture does. It gives us hope. Gives us hope about a future, a bright future. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says, For whatever were written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. You know, if you don't have hope, if you have a situation in your life and you don't have hope, it's... You go, I think about this situation, it's not glistening with hope. I think about it, I just, dredge, I just dread it. I dr it's drudgery to think about it. If you don't have hope, you don't have God's word on it. Because when you have God's word on it, the thing that the scriptures give us is the scriptures give us hope. Look at this other verse here, it says, May the God of, of hope, so God... If you hung around with God, I remember when we first started, you know, this church years ago, I, you know, it was, it, to, to me, and maybe it wasn't as bad, like I said, I always pick out the negative thing and focus on it. Maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought, but to me it seemed like the most impossible situation that I'd ever had. But the funny thing about it was, when I would pray, and I could feel the presence of God, I would start having hope. 
I'd start, all of a sudden I'd start, I'd actually, God would begin to use my imagination. I would, I would start seeing things in my imagination. I saw all you guys coming in my imagination. You know, we, I, we used to live here in this house where the nursery is, or I don't know, if, I, don't, I get confused what, 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 kids, where, what kids are where, but upstairs was our bedroom, and we could see down this gravel road where you guys all come in and risk your life coming down that gravel road. And I could see down that gravel road, and, you know, when we first started, there'd be like one or two cars that would come. But when I would pray, when I would pray, all of a sudden in my imagination, I would see car after car coming in, a big dust storm coming as car after car after car after car after car came. And then I would stop, I would pray, then I would look at reality, and I'd say, this is depressing. Then I'd pray and I'd see that same image in my mind. I'd see that car after car after car coming. And so it was easier to pray in those days than to not pray. Because when I prayed, I got hope. When I prayed, I would get hope. Because notice it says here, the God of hope, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may abound in hope. You can tell that, that the, the power of the Holy Spirit's working on your life because you're abounding in hope. You have a positive outlook on life. So that through the power of scriptures, of the scriptures, in our own ma- imagination, we can create an atmosphere that's conducive for hope to give substance to our faith. Because ho- faith needs an atmosphere of hope. You know, I heard one guy describe, because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives us a description of faith. It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Or faith gives substance to things hoped for. So if you don't have hope, you have nothing for your faith to give substance to. Like Dave just said, hope is like the blueprint. Faith is like the, the actual building. But there has, to be, there has to be a blueprint. There has to be something that faith gives substance to, and that's your hope. If you don't have hope, your faith's never going to give substance. Your faith can't give substance to nothing. It has to give substance to hope. So that's why you should have high hopes. I heard one guy describe it like this. It's like having a furnace and a thermostat. Your thermostat is, a, is your, your, how many know your furnace will heat your house? But your, your, your furnace is not activated until the thermostat calls for heat. And your thermostat is your hope. So when you have, whichever you set your hope at, your furnace, your faith will give substance to the thing that you set your hope at. How many can see that? That's why every area of our lives that is not glistening with hope is in some area that we believe something that's not true. And the enemy has got a stronghold in our lives. You know, you think about this. Like I said, fear and faith. Let me read. I wrote this down. Let me see if I got it written here. It says, fear and faith have something in common. They both ask us to believe something that we can't see. Fear and faith both use our imagination our ability to picture a future. And we, when we agree with that, fear or faith, we give it power over our lives. You know, 
people talk about the story of Job in the Bible. But the Bible says in Job 3, it says, Job said, for the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. He said, the thing that I feared has come upon me, the thing that I dread befalls me. And that's what fear does. Fear gives the enemy opportunity in our lives. But faith, it says, Matthew, Mark chapter 11, verse 24, says, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Faith gives God the opportunity to, to bring forth things to pass in our lives. So both fear and faith have the power to bring things to pass in our lives. That's why we have to reject fear. We have to reject despair and receive faith and hope in our lives. Are you, you still with me? So let's all stand together. So what are you thinking? What are you imagining for your future? You say, well, I need a new imagination. I'll tell you, my imagination isn't doing very good. Well, remember what the Bible says, that through the power of the Scriptures, the power of the Scriptures, because the Scriptures, how many know this is true? The Scriptures paint a picture. Scriptures paint a picture of a, a bright future. When you read the Scripture, you, you, you'll see that People cry out to God and God answers. It gives, you, it gives you a reason to hope. And so your situation's not hopeless. Your thinking might be hopeless, but your situation's not hopeless. Let's close our eyes just for a moment here. Hallelujah. I want you just as you're standing there, just to pray, ask God to give you give you a, a hopeful imagination about your future. Just ask the Lord to, to touch your imagination. Just as you're standing there, say, Lord, just touch my imagination. Touch my imagination with your word. Touch my imagination with your word. Let the power of vision. Every one of us face hopeless situations. We, maybe we're in a relationship that's hopeless. It's just hopeless. This person is hopeless. This situation's hopeless. Maybe your finance is hopeless. Maybe you can't see any, there's no, like, no light at the end of the tunnel. Remember, there's no hopeless situations. There's just hopeless thinking. Don't allow hopeless thinking become a stronghold in your life. Because hopelessness will begin to cloud every area of your life. You might have an addiction. You might have something, I can't get free of this. There are no hopeless. You might be like that little donkey tied to an addiction. There are no hopeless situations. There's just hopeless thinking. The first step toward change is hope. If I can see, if I can see something, if I can hear something, if I can picture something in my imagination that is hopeful, 
That is hopeful. That's powerful. That's a powerful place to be where I can picture something in my mind. Because God, the Bible says that God is the, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, he gives visions and dreams. He anoints our imagination so that we see something, we see ourselves healed, we see ourselves delivered, we see relationships restored, we see finances, God meeting our needs, we see our hopes and our dreams fulfilled. That's the Holy Spirit giving us a picture into the future. We should never turn loose of that. Those, those, those imaginations are powerful, are powerful. And there's a lot of warfare because there's a lot of warfare around imaginations. You know, the Bible says in Psalms 2, it says the people imagined a vain thing. Well, that's, that's the wicked rulers. They imagine a vain thing. You're not wicked. You're a child of God. And they imagine a vain thing, but I want you to imagine a powerful thing, a productive thing, a fruitful thing. Let God touch your imagination. Let it flash in front of you. Let a new day of hope spring forth in your lives. Work with God. I've had people tell me, that people tell me that, I don't know, I keep seeing this thing, but then they slip back and start describing their situation. I said, that's the first step that God uses is he'll give you, a, he'll give you something, a dream, a vision. He'll give you something. That's the first step. That's awesome. Work with that. When God spoke to Abraham, he told him, can you count the stars? Can you imagine at night, Abraham looked out at the stars and, and he would see the stars. He said, so shall your descendants be. Then during the day, he gave him a picture of the sand. He said, can you count the kernels of sand? So day or night, he had the same picture in his mind that God gave him an imagination of his future. So shall your future be. So shall your future be. So shall your future be. Don't turn loose of that. Amen? Let's sing this song. You have a song we could sing? In the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. In the crushing. In the pressing, you are making new eyes. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to 
God. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, we all are facing things in our lives. And sometimes it's so difficult to hope. How many know that's true? But hope is a tremendous sign that change is on the way. It's the first step toward change. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the language of the Holy Spirit is dreams and visions. And he uses our imagination, causing us to picture a bright future. If you see only gloom and doom, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us a positive, confident expectation of good. If you only see helplessness and hopelessness, that's not the Holy Spirit. If you only see that I'll be this way, just like that little colt tied, you say, I'll be here forever. That's not the language of the Holy Spirit. The language of the Holy Spirit is a language of hope. I want to pray for you. Lord, we just pray right now. Holy Spirit of God, you're the great comforter. You're the one that imparts vision and dreams. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you'll anoint our imaginations that you give us thoughts that come out of heaven, that you give us thoughts that come out of the throne of God, that you give us thoughts of freedom, thoughts of liberty, thoughts that free us from the disappointments and the heartaches of the past, thoughts that free us, God, from the confinement of situations that have come up in our past. Thoughts that tell us that things will be different. Things can be different. Things will be different. There's a bright future. There's a new day dawning. A page is being turned. A new chapter is being written. A day of victory, a day of triumph, a day of overcoming. A day of the glory of God being revealed. Standing in your favor, Lord, we believe to see the glory of God. We hope to see the glory of God in our lives be revealed, in our families, in our communities, in our state, in our nation, Lord. We just, we hope to see the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you receive that, just say, just raise your hand and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Say it real loud. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. There's no mountain that can't be moved. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to give you the opportunity to be prayed for personally. So if the prayer counselors could please come forward. And if you need prayer for anything, maybe you just need someone to agree with you about some area of hope in your life. Maybe you facing a hopeless situation. Just need somebody to agree with you in prayer. But I want you just to be open to the idea that God's going to give you a picture of a bright future. That sounds like the God of hope to me. Amen?
We also have some refreshments. Make sure that you remember that Friday, we have a Good Friday service with communion at 6.30 this, this Friday right here at this church here. Well, I'm believing that you're going to have encounters with the God of hope this week. Encounters with the God of hope. It's going to come, you know, God does the night shift. Did you know that? You say, well, I'm busy during the day. He'll work on the night shift. Gives dreams. The Holy Spirit gives visions and dreams. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's been great being with you today. You're a great looking bunch of people. And I'm believing that God's going to fill you with hope this week. God bless you, everybody. We'll see you again very soon. God bless you. You're free to go.